Welcome to the sermon podcast of Exodus Church, located in Belmont, North Carolina. For more information about our church and the many ways you can be involved, please go to our website at theexoduschurch.org or email us at info at theexoduschurch.org. Now, if you'll take your Bible and turn to James, that's where we're going to be today, uh, James chapter 1. Um, and, and I want to point out something to you. Uh, you may have seen these when you came in. There's a bookmark that's got a kind of a reading plan for James. Uh, this is a, a passage that you can read every week as we get ready for Sunday. And maybe if you're new to reading the Bible, uh, it might, might find that challenging. There are some questions on the other side that you can um, ask of the passage while you're reading it that will help you uh, understand uh, God's Word better. And so I want to encourage you to, to pick that up. Um, now, a few months ago, we did a series in Romans called Re-Exodus. And kind of the, the, the overarching thought for that series is that gospel doctrine creates gospel Christians who create gospel culture, okay? Uh, another way of looking at that is what we believe affects how we behave and what we build. Now, James shares that concern. Okay, James is very much concerned with how we live as gospel Christians. He's very much concerned about the gospel culture that we build in our churches. But James, uh, in a way that's different than Romans, he kind of assumes gospel doctrine. Okay, he assumes that we know some things. He assumes we know about Jesus. His name only gets mentioned twice in the book of James. He assumes that we know about God's grace that only gets mentioned once. He assumes we know and understand about the cross of Christ and how God, through Jesus on the cross, forgives sin. That really never gets clearly spelled out in James. And he assumes we know about the Holy Spirit who empowers us to obey God's commands. James assumes that we know those things, and then he calls us to be gospel Christians and to build gospel culture. Okay, He's calling us to a life of true and living faith where we live out what we believe and we try to build culture around this beautiful gospel that we celebrate. And my prayer for our series here in James is that we would hear this call to true and living faith and that we would respond. That's what we want. So I'm going to read James 1, 1 to 4, then I'm going to pray and we'll, we'll jump into God's word together. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, Greetings. Then he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let's pray together. Father, this passage uh, speaks into our lives really clearly and directly because all of us are facing trials of various kinds. This has been a difficult year. Uh, for many of us, it's been a difficult week. Lord, we, we, we're facing trials of various kinds. And so we see ourselves clearly in this passage. So Lord, would you help us understand it? Would you help us apply it? And would you help us live in light of it? Lord, you know, you know, every, you know every heart in this room, you know every story in this room, and so you are able to speak into those hearts in ways I could never speak. So Holy Spirit, would you speak through your word today? Would you, would you preach a better sermon than I've prepared so that hearts can leave here filled with hope and joy 
and faith. Lord, would you do that? Would you do that for your glory? And would you do that for our joy? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now we're going to see two things today, okay? We're going to see James' context, and then we're going to see James' concern. All right, we're going to start with James' context. Now, James is what's known as a general epistle. In other words, it was written to kind of a general audience. So Romans is written to a church in a specific city. Titus and Philemon are written to specific people. James is what's known as a general epistle. And when we read verse 1, we should ask some questions about the letter. So when it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings, we should ask some questions about this. First, we should ask, well, who is James? Well, he tells us that he's a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, scholars and, and historians look at this and they, they understand from other sources that this James is probably James, the half-brother of Jesus. He's mentioned in the book of Acts. He's mentioned in the book of Galatians. Uh, he actually became one of the key leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And so when we understand that this James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, that reminds us of two things. The first thing it reminds us of is that James was actually a skeptic who was radically changed. In the Gospels, we read that, that Jesus' family all thought he was crazy. When Jesus started doing public ministry and started talking about who he was and what he was there to do, they all thought he had lost his mind and wanted to put him away. James was one of them. But something happened after the resurrection where James was radically changed from a skeptic to a believer, and not only a believer, but to a leader in the church at Jerusalem. And James died a martyr's death in 62 AD, proclaiming that his big brother was the God of the universe. Now, what would have to happen in your life for you to worship your big brother? Okay, what would have to happen? Something radical happened for James where after the resurrection of Jesus, he realized Jesus is Lord and God, and he worshiped him. Now, I say that because maybe you're here today and you're a skeptic. You're not quite sure if you, if you really believe all the stuff the Bible says. You're not quite sure what to do about Jesus. I say that to say the Bible can handle your questions. And the Bible is filled with skeptics who met God and their lives were radically changed, just like James. And so if you have questions to bring to the Bible, bring them. Bring those questions. And what you'll find is in the resurrection of Jesus, those questions find answers. Second thing we learn about James is that our biological connection to Jesus, excuse me, that James was more concerned about his spiritual connection to Jesus than his biological connection to him. You'll notice James does not say, hey, I'm the half-brother of Jesus here. He says, I'm a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is more concerned about his spiritual connection to Jesus than his biological one. Now, many of us may have grown up in, in a family uh, with generations of faithfulness. Maybe your, great, maybe your grandparents were Christians. Maybe your parents are Christians. And I would, I would remind you that our biological connection to our family doesn't save us. It's our spiritual connection to Jesus that saves us. Now, it's a great privilege to grow up in a family that teaches you about Jesus. That's, that's a great privilege. 
but it does not save. It does not matter if your grandmother and your mother and dad and whoever else followed Jesus. You have to surrender your life to Jesus. And if you have not done that, I beg you, I urge you to place all your hope in him and surrender all your life to him today so that you might be saved. Because if you stand before God and talk about your parents' faith, that's not going to save you on that day. That won't save you on that day. James was more concerned about his spiritual connection to Jesus than his biological one. James was a brother biologically, but he had to be born again as a new kind of brother. He had to be saved. And so that's who James is. Now, when was James written? Many understand this to be one of the first books of the New Testament that was ever written down. It's between James and Galatians. Those both written about the same time. James was written around 45 to 49 AD, which is just 12 to 16 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And there's something important going on that tells us that. It says, uh, James writes to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Now, this is talking about the Jewish people who were thrust out of Jerusalem shortly after um, the death of Stephen in Acts chapter 8. This is what Acts 8 1 says. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Then verse 4 says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So you have this group of Christians who were thrust out of the city of Jerusalem. They're persecuted and they're thrust out and they have to go about the region and they suffer more persecution. They suffer more rejection. And then they have to face these other trials of just trying to figure out a new life and a new place. And so when James is writing to them, the first thing he says is, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Not just persecution and rejection, but just the difficulty of living in a world when you're trying to relocate. Now, James is writing to them, and by extension, he's writing to us as we are dispersed into the world. And he wants us to have a true and living faith that counts it all joy. So that's James' context. Now let's talk about James' concern. Look at verse 2. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now what's going on here? Again, uh, James is writing to these Christians. He says, count it all joy, my brothers. That word brothers can be translated brothers and sisters. So he's writing to the family of God. And he's writing to these Christians who are facing trials of various kinds. Again, persecution, rejection, the difficulty of traveling and relocating in this day. And he's concerned about how they respond to all that. He says, when you encounter trials of various kinds. Not if, <laughs> when, he says. And now here in 2020, James is concerned with how we respond to various trials. I mean, various trials in 2020 starts to feel like a CVS receipt. I mean, it's just this long, long, long list of things we're facing. Now we got dual hurricanes in the Gulf of Mexico. I mean, what else can we add to our 2020 list, you know? And James wants us to face these trials, counting it all joy. And so he speaks to two things, he has, he's concerned about two things related to our various trials. He's concerned about our perspective and our patience. Let's start with perspective. 
Okay. In verse two, it says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. Uh, it, depending on your translation, it might say, consider it all joy. Both of the, that's the same Greek word that gets to our perspective. James is concerned with how we think about various trials. Now, he does not want us to be detached or dishonest about life. So he's not trying to get us to say, yeah, life's not hard, life's not bad. He's trying to say, he's trying to get us to think differently. He's not trying to get us to lie to ourselves, but he wants us to think differently about these trials such that we count trials as joy. Why? Why would he do this? Well, look at verse 3. He says, uh, starting at verse 2, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know. There's something we know as followers of Jesus that allows us to count trials as joy. Notice what it is. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. There's a couple of reasons our perspective can be joyful even in the midst of trials. The first one is that our faith is being purified. He says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, school started. It may be that you've had a test already. Maybe you've had a quiz or maybe you've got one coming in a week or so. That's not the kind of testing that it's talking about here. This kind of testing is like being in a crucible where metal is heated and the impurities of the metal rise to the top so they can be skimmed off and that metal can be more and more pure. That's what he's talking about here, that the testing of your faith then produces something. What James is wanting us to know, he's wanting us to consider it all joy because these trials are purifying our faith. And that purification produces something. It produces steadfastness. Now, this is an amazing word. Steadfastness means faithful endurance in difficulty. And so when our faith is purified, it creates something in us where we can faithfully endure difficulty. It creates in us this, this, um, this perspective where we can say to the Lord, Lord, even when things are hard, you are good. Even when things are painful, you are using this to purify my faith. And we can trust him. That's what steadfastness means. It's this faithful endurance and difficulty. And so James wants us to have a different perspective about our trials because we know that our faith is being purified and then our character is being matured. Look at verse four. He says, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now that word perfect doesn't mean what you thought it meant when you just heard that word. It doesn't mean you never do anything wrong. What it means is that you're mature. It means you're growing up. And so we can have a different perspective about our trials because our faith is being purified and our character is being matured. That's what he's saying here. So James is very concerned about our perspective. He wants us to have joy because we know that God is using every moment of our pain to purify our faith and mature our character. Next, he's concerned about our patience. Look at verse 4. He says, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So there's that promise again that, that we'll grow in maturity, that these trials are purifying our faith and maturing our character. And then there's this command at the beginning of verse 4. It says, And let steadfastness have its full effect. He's calling us to patience. 
If steadfastness is the faithful endurance of difficulty, what he's calling us to is patience where we wait in that moment of difficulty until it's had its full effect in our lives. Now, for Father's Day, I got a pellet grill so I could smoke meat at my house, okay? Uh, I love smoked meat. It's one of God's gifts. And so I, I, uh, I got that for Father's Day. Now, one of the things I found out about larger cuts of meat, like Boston butt or brisket, is that when you smoke them low and slow temp, what happens is they, they get up to a temperature and they, and they just hit a temperature and they stay there. It's called the stall. Okay. And they will stay at that temp. Now, uh, people who are new at doing this, and I, I was Googling YouTube and everything, trying to figure this out. But what oftentimes people will let it get there and they'll try to crank up the heat thinking it's got to keep going. And if you do that, you ruin the meat. It will not be what you want it to be on your plate. The stall is really important when you're smoking meat because that's when all the tissue and the connective stuff is getting broken down so that it can be juicy and tender. Okay. Now, what, what James is calling us to is this, uh, he's inviting us to stay in this moment of difficulty with faithful endurance, even when it's hard, because during those hard times, our, our character is being matured. And if we, if we try to get out of that moment, if we try to escape that pain, we will not be what we long to be, because God has purpose in our pain. And our perspective needs to be changed, but we need to have patience in the midst of it because God uses that pain for his purposes. And one of my favorite preachers is a guy named Charles Spurgeon, and he said this about this idea of pain. He said, most of the grand truths of God have to be learned by trouble. Otherwise, we shall not truly receive them. I believe there's no place where we can learn so much and have so much light cast upon Scripture as we do in the furnace. He said, read the truth, read a truth in tranquility, read it in peace, read it in prosperity, and you will not make anything of it. But be put inside the furnace, and you will then be able to spell all hard words and understand more than you could without it. There's purpose in our pain. And James wants us to have a perspective where we count it all joy because God has purpose in our pain. And where we have patience because we realize our faith is being purified and our character is being matured. And so he's calling us to this kind of true and living faith where we have this perspective and patience in the midst of these various trials. And so the question today is not if you're going to have trials. It doesn't say count it all joy if. It says count it all joy when. So the question is not if you'll have trials. The question is how will you respond? How will you respond? When you face trials of various kinds, when your faith is being purified in the crucible of pain, when your character is being matured in the slow process of faithful endurance, how will you respond? Now, for some of us, um, our perspective gets off because uh, we start to encounter difficulty and we thought that wasn't going to happen when we trusted Jesus. Maybe even we heard that if I trust Jesus, all my problems will go away. I won't have any more pain. And what you heard wasn't biblical Christianity. James says, count on all joy when you are going to have trials. You are going to have difficulty. That is not new information to any of us. But so often when we hit that pain and when we hit that difficulty, we just... Say, look, God, I'm done. I didn't expect this. 
because our perspective gets off. Sometimes we run out of patience in the midst of it and we grumble and complain. We're like, God, stop. I'm just tired of hurting. I'm tired of being disappointed. I'm tired of, I'm tired, God. And we grumble and complain. Sometimes we try to fix it ourselves. We try to turn up the heat in the stall to get out of it. We try to try to figure out how we can figure it out. Sometimes we just try to escape the pain. We eat too much, we drink too much, we work too much, we watch too much. We just try to figure out how to escape because we're tired of feeling pain. And the reality is all those things do nothing for the pain we're feeling. The pain still, it might, it might make it go away for a minute, it might get our minds off of it, but that pain, those various trials are still there. And what's more, all those attempts at escaping pain are an assault on the character of God. When you grumble and complain, that's an assault on the character of God. When you try to save yourself rather than trust him, it's an assault on the character of God. When you try to escape to a false God rather than running to the true one for hope, that's an assault on the character of God. And the Bible calls all of that sin. And our sin is worthy of eternal wrath and punishment. But the God we complain to loved us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to endure various trials in our place, to go all the way to the cross, to die for us, so that all who place their faith and hope in him might be forgiven, might be given hope and joy, might be given faith to trust him in the midst of whatever. And you can know that kind of hope and joy and faith today if you'll simply place all your hope in him and surrender all your life to him. It will not make your problems go away, but it will give you a hope in the midst of those problems. So how will you respond today? How will you respond? How will you respond? Will you count it all joy knowing that God has purpose in your pain Will you trust God even in the midst of trials, knowing that your faith is being purified? Will you patiently wait in the pain, knowing that your character is being matured? How will you respond today? How will you respond? I've already mentioned Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers ever. He, he was no stranger to pain. No stranger to pain. He knew that God had purpose in it. He knew that these various trials were being used by the Lord. And he wrote this. I'm sorry to say that I'm made of such ill stuff that my Lord has to chasten me often and sorely. I'm like a quill pen that will not write unless it be often nibbed, and therefore I've felt the sharp knife many times. When he talks about a quill, that's a feather, and they would take a sharp knife and sharpen the end so that it would have a fine point so he could dip it in ink and use it to write. Then he says this, and yet I shall not regret my pains and crosses so long as my Lord will write with me on men's hearts. That's the cause of many ministers' afflictions. They are necessary to our work. He said, God uses this knife to make me useful. God uses this pain to make me an instrument useful for his purposes. God uses this knife to mature me as a follower of Jesus, but that knife hurts. That knife hurts sometimes. 
about 14 years ago, we had just moved into our house and uh, we were uh, trying to get some things sorted and situated. And my son, uh, TJ, was out on the deck outside. We had this old deck on the back of the house we hadn't taken off yet. And he was walking on the deck and he was kind of kicking his feet into the deck. You know how kids walk sometimes. And, and he, um, he was playing out there and we were in the house doing some things. And then all of a sudden he bust into the back door, screaming bloody murder, blood going everywhere, looked like a murder scene. It was just, just one of those times. And then we, I, I get him down, get him down in a chair. I'm looking at the bottom of his foot and there was a splinter that had lodged in the ball of his foot from kicking on the deck. Okay. Now, when I say splinter, it was more like a wood chip. Like it was like a square, uh, a quarter inch square and about a half inch long. It was massive. Okay. And so splinters are my job in our family. So he's sitting in the chair. I'm holding his foot and I start to mess with it. Okay. Trying to, trying to dig this thing. Well, he starts screaming because it hurts. Understand? He just starts screaming. And I keep messing with it. I've got his foot in my hands. I've got my leg wrapped around his leg. I'm my foot in his chest, trying to hold him still so that I can dig this thing out. Well, he starts screaming, you're killing me, you're killing me. And I'm thinking, okay, we don't know our neighbors. There are police officers in our neighborhood. I'm about to go to jail. Like, what's, what's happening here? So I said, okay, son, listen, I've got to get this out, okay? I've got to get this out. It's going to get infected if I don't get this out. I said, do you trust me? He said, yes. I said, do you know that I love you? He said, yes. So okay. Okay. I need you to trust me. So I start going at it again. He starts screaming, you're, you're killing me. You're killing me. You're killing me. I'm like, okay, son, listen, do you just need to scream? He said, yes. I said, okay. All right. Then I want you to scream as loud as you want to. My daddy loves me. My daddy's helping me. Okay. You scream that as loud as you want because that's what's true. You scream as loud as you want because that's what's true. And so for the next however eternity that was, he's screaming, my daddy loves me, my daddy's helping me while I'm trying to dig this thing out of the bottom of his foot. And at the end of that, I'm holding him, trying to comfort him, and he's still saying that through sobbing. And as I'm holding my son, I, I just had a sense of the Holy Spirit saying to me, this is what you do in your pain. In the midst of pain, you remember what's true. You remember, my daddy loves me. My daddy's helping me. You remember that God has purpose in your pain. You remember that your faith is being purified. Your character is being matured. And so whatever pain you're walking through, you can walk through it with joy because you know my daddy loves me. My daddy's helping me. That's the, con that's the kind of true and living faith that James is calling us to here in verses 2 and 4. That's the kind of true and living faith that he's calling us to walk in. That regardless of our pain, regardless of what we're facing, regardless of what we're going through, we know our God is using our pain. He has purpose in our pain to purify our faith and to mature our character. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your love for us. Lord, I pray, I pray that as we face trials of various kinds, that we would respond with hearts of joy, because we know that you have purpose in them. That we'd respond with hearts of faith because we know that you're at work. Lord, I pray you'd protect us from grumbling and complaining, that you'd protect us from trying to escape the pain, that you'd protect us from trying to fix it ourselves, that we would trust you even in the midst of difficulty. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you endured difficulty in our place, that you endured difficulty all the way to the cross so that we could be forgiven and free.
So, Lord, capture our hearts and minds with that reality. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.